welcome to episode 26 of the Imperfect Progress podcast. I'm your host, Anne Guzman. I'm super excited to share this episode with you today where I have a conversation with Olympian cyclist Ruth Winder. If you know about Ruth, you know she's an Olympian and a multi-time elite national road cycling champion with her most recent win in 2019. And if you didn't watch that, definitely check it out on YouTube. It is one of the most nail-biting finishes I've ever watched in a road race. She's also won many stages on the Pro Tour, including team time trial gold medals, and she's won the GC in several races, including, but definitely not limited to, the Tour de Feminet, Joe Martin Stage Race, the Santos Women's Tour Down Under, Redlands Bicycle Race, and on top of that, she was also part of a winning National Pursuit team on the track. Her and her team won several gold, silver, and bronze medals, including the Pan Am Championships and at World Cup races. Bruce has been racing for Team Trek since 2019, and she's still a brand ambassador as she's now racing on the gravel scene, which we definitely dive into today and how that experience is going for her. Ruth is also a coach and a bike fitter, and exciting, she's a recent business owner. And we talk all about that today and her other ventures that she's now more focused on, and it's really exciting to hear what's happening. In particular, her new business, I Am A Day, is really interesting, and that's around cycling photography, which we definitely dive into. We actually dive into a lot of interesting topics today, and I think anyone who's interested in pro cycling or competitive cycling can really benefit from Ruth's experiences that she shares here. One thing we discussed today is the importance of nutrition, and we talk about Ruth's experiences with relative energy deficiency in sport, which is often referred to as REDS or REDS. And we discuss how Ruth was able to pull herself out of that situation and come back strong and win that amazing 2019 uh, national road race solo, as well as finish off her career really strong on the road in 2021. Other things we dive into are the importance of advocating for yourself as an athlete, knowing when to speak up when something feels off and the importance of asking for help and how Ruth did this during her career. In addition, we talk about how all-consuming cycling can be and how it really can be your one focus in your life pie, so to speak, and why stepping back as Ruth has can help gain some perspective and how Ruth is managing her post road cycling career and the new challenges she's facing now and how she's addressing those. So that's a really interesting aspect of our conversation that I think a lot of athletes um, might be able to relate to or learn from. We also talk about the culture of cycling and some of the nuances of racing over in Europe specific to Ruth's experiences and also what Ruth loves to do when she's not racing or riding her bike, which I'm always super interested to hear about. Ruth is a huge advocate for fueling the work and having a good, healthy approach to nutrition. And I think that's one of the big takeaways from our conversation today. So I hope you'll dive in and you know, absorb everything she has to say because it's super important. 
Before we jump in, I just want to take a minute to tell you about my new podcast sponsor, Inside Tracker. They are amazing. There's nothing more powerful than really understanding why you feel great and why you don't feel great. So to live your healthiest life, it's important to know what's happening inside your body. And one way you can get a closer look at that is through your blood work. Inside Tracker goes beyond your annual blood work because they look at so many markers of health in categories including metabolism, bone health, hormones, iron, immune system, and more than that as well. So they analyze your blood, if you want your DNA, and fitness tracking data to help you recognize where you're doing really well and where you could use some improvement. And through a personalized system, the goal is to improve your energy, your vitality, and the quality of your years, which we often refer to as health span. So this system was created by leading scientists in aging, genetics, and biometrics. And what they do is after analyzing your blood, they provide you with a daily action plan with personalized guidance on the right exercise, nutrition, and supplementation where it might be needed. You can add inner age 2.0 to any plan. And what it does is it calculates your true biological age to see how you're aging from the inside out. If I'm really honest, I thought I was gonna have a younger biological age than I actually am but it was the same as my age. So it's kind of motivated me to up the ante a bit on everything. For a limited time, you can get 20% off the entire Inside Tracker store. All you need to do is go to insidetracker.com forward slash Guzman, G-U-Z-M-A-N, nutrition. So that's insidetracker.com forward slash Guzman nutrition. You can also find a link to that in my podcast notes on Apple, on Spotify, or on my podcast newsletter at anguzman.com. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. Welcome to the podcast, Ruth. Hi, thanks for having me. Absolutely. I'm excited uh, for us to chat today. I didn't want to go too deep into your your races that I saw you do this weekend, because I thought it would be cool if you could tell everyone a little bit about it. But I saw it was quite the mud fest at the latest Lifetime Grand Prix race. Yeah, it was so, so muddy. And it's just so different from anything I've done before. I mean, even without the mud, it was going to be different because you basically just race a mountain bike on this like grass track for 40 miles. But then as soon it just dumped with rain for maybe like 30 minutes, maybe an hour before our start start time. And so it just turned the whole thing into this like slick mud pud, mud puddle like race and just everybody sliding everywhere. And I was like, okay, well, you know, I don't know what I'm doing at all. So kind of right away, all pressure was off. And I just like had a really fun time just slipping and sliding through the mud. And I didn't really care to be around anybody else or anybody that was competitive. And I can feel it like I know that feeling of being really competitive. And I can feel it from the other races that want that. And I'm like, that is not me. I'm just like back here being like, like sliding all over the place. And so it was a really fun new experience for me that I I hadn't had before. So that's cool. That's awesome. Is that hard for you? Like coming from, you know, you just retired from road and being on the World Cup circuit for so long. Is it hard for you to go from super serious, super competitive to I'm actually going to try and just have fun? It's been almost impossible. To be perfectly honest, I've been really, that's what I wanted. And I thought it would be easy. I'd be like, oh, I don't, I'm not going to the Olympics anymore. Like I, I'm not competitive. I don't, it's fine. <laughs> and then I just started doing gravel and I, 
I'm not training like I used to and I just feel like I'm kind of failing all the time or I'm not being a perfectionist in this world that I always have been before. And even though it's not the Olympics and the goal isn't the same, like you still enter a race and you feel pressure to perform, whether it's because sponsors are still paying you or because like people know, know me as Ruth Winder, the super strong cyclist. And if I'm not that, then, then who am I? So I've been really, really struggling to have a fun time with it. And this last weekend was probably the first time that I can honestly sit here and tell you that I had a fun time. Yeah. That's awesome. I mean, you just said something so important, which is, you know, if I'm not Ruth Winder, the super strong cyclist, who am I? And so when you were racing full-time on the road, like, did you feel like you had, like, if we picture an apple pie and racing was a slice, was, was racing and bike life, like three quarters of the pie all the time? I would say the last couple of years, I don't know a time that it didn't feel like the whole pie, to be perfectly honest. Like, I don't like saying it. I don't like to admit it, but like so much of it took over my entire life. And I think when I stopped racing will tour like I stopped because of this reason that is health and health is more than just you know being super fit and lean like to some degree like it's relationship health and mental health and and all of these things and I was talking with somebody recently that helped me kind of see this as like health being this large bubble and yeah like having space and time for other things is also something that I deem to be healthy and good for me and I didn't have time for that before so yeah yeah that's huge. I mean, that's such an important message because I know when I was racing, it was the same thing, which is all consuming and, and probably left me not very happy in the end. And same, probably the reason I ended up stopping as well. And then you realize, okay, there's, there's other things. And, and maybe you think in retrospect, oh gosh, if I went back now with all of these other things in my life, maybe I'd be even better, right? Because <laughs> you'd have more like, maybe more, I don't know, I don't love the word happiness, but you'd be more rounded as a person. Maybe more perspective. I'm not sure. Like, I think I've definitely realized that like I gave myself a really hard time at points when I didn't need to, just because I think by nature, I am a perfectionist. And I really was trying to chase that and embody everything that it meant to be a professional athlete. And I had these ideas of these perfect professional athletes that I saw and that I knew. And I was like, well, I have to be like them and do what they're doing, which, you know, was to suffer really hard and be totally focused and eat all the right things. And, you know, like, I I don't even know, you know, all these things that we think make this perfect athlete. And now I'm just like, I don't know that anybody is living that way. You know, I think that everybody kind of has life happen to them and you kind of have to take everything um, in its own stride. Yeah, no, for sure. I have to ask. So you, did you win your first national championship in 2014? Yeah, maybe. No, I won my very first one when I was a junior, if that counts. My elite, my first elite one might be when I was in 2014. Okay. So my back then. one was like 2009. Okay, amazing. So when you were that young back then, like, in your mind, did you already think, I want to be a professional bike racer? Like, did you have this pressure when you were really young? When I was a 15 year old, and I won my first one at 15, I think I just wanted to hang out with my parents and have a good time. I don't think I even knew. I I think I did know because I'd like seen the tour or like I'd watched cycling, but I didn't know that you could like have a job I don't think I even really knew what a job properly was yet you know like I didn't know any of that I think I just kind of like kept doing it and it just slowly evolved into a job and honestly as a female in the U.S. like my first road contract was like for three thousand dollars on United Healthcare like way back when they very first started so it wasn't even really like a job then it 
very slowly kind of like evolved over time to this thing that like became more of a job than just like the thing that I did, you know? Right, right. And you make a good point. Like when I was racing, I remember like full-time racers making $5,000 a year. And yeah, I mean, it's so talk- silly. Like yeah, you sign a contract for that. You're like, that's not an amount of money you should sign a contract for, you know, but it's just what it was. Right. Uh, I'm, I'm glad to see there's, you know, there's been a lot of change there, but obviously there's still a long way to go. Are you very involved in equality for women cycling and um, some of the organizations that exist now? I'm not directly involved with any organization, but I keep in touch with a lot of people from the TCA and I am the representative to the UCI for the women's Peloton. Okay. Um, so like I, I'm, a, yeah, I'm a commission. I'm on the commission board for the women's Peloton. Right. Okay. Yeah. So was your first pro contract 2018? I guess like official, my first, my first European pro contract European, was 2018. Yeah, that's that right. was when I was on Sunweb, the Dutch team. And then from there I went to Trek. But before that, I rode um, for United Healthcare in the U.S., right. uh, which, I mean, it was a pretty big team at the time. I think U.S. Pro and maybe um, European Pro are a little different. But at the time, that was a big one. And, and before that, I had done primarily track racing. So I kind of like started on the road, dabbled in a little mountain biking, then went just straight into track racing in like 2014, basically, and did solely all 13, and then 13, 14, 15 leaving leading into the 2016 olympics was just doing track racing and racing for united healthcare a little bit on the road um yeah and way back when 2024 was not 2024 it was peanut butter and company yeah before it's peanut butter and company it was pro man and i was on it the the two years it was it was that before oh wow pro man i remember that or something yeah (laughs) yeah oh that's awesome what was the um you know, obviously being away from home was a big deal, but when you went from racing full-time in the U.S. to Europe, like what were some of the big things you can remember kind of going, oh, wow, this is a, this is a big change. And I'm, I'm wanting to bring this up for maybe racers that are listening, thinking I want to go race in Europe. So what were some of the really big differences that stand out to you now? Yeah, it's really hard. The time difference one was really hard. Um, luckily, I have super supportive family and, and my now husband, boyfriend at the time, he was extremely supportive. And we'd um, like I'd kind of already been used to being gone from my family because I moved to Colorado Springs and I grew up in California. So I like and he and my boyfriend was living in Boulder. So we'd never really been like super close. So I think I did have some benefit in already kind of knowing what distance felt like a little bit. Yeah, um, but definitely the time difference. I think I spent a lot of my time in the Netherlands when I first joined Sunweb. So I stayed in Sichard, lived in Sichard, which is a really cold, gloomy place. And if you spent your time in Colorado, then, you know, it's just like mostly sunny and lovely all of the time. Even when it's really cold, it might still be really sunny. And that's definitely, I think I got a little bit of like seasonal, like just got down a little bit in the season of the spring over in Belgium. Luckily, though, I was really, if you're going over, I would really suggest trying to go somewhere that speaks English. I think some people are like, I'm going to immerse myself in the culture and learn the culture. And I'm like, you're already so isolated. Like, that's another reason I, I liked it all. You know, I made, became really good friends with Canadian Leah Kirchman there. And she was on the same team at the time, too. So that was obviously helpful. But the Dutch people speak English. So I didn't feel stuck. I didn't feel like I couldn't communicate. And that was super important to me. Um, right. And then when I've spent time in Girona, it's the, it's the same thing in Spain where there are so many people around that you don't feel alone. And I think that that's really important because you can start to feel really, really alone, especially if you join a team that doesn't speak English as their first language, it can be really hard. Mm -hmm. And how about the racing itself? 
the racing is, I mean, it's like double the field size easily. Uh, in the spring, you get like this super technical tight roads of Belgium, you know, the Netherlands and, and everything where you just have to be constantly on the whole time. And it's super short and punchy. Um, so yeah, my first couple of races in Europe, like when I very, very first went to Europe, I just got my teeth kicked in and you just have to learn to be really smart because it doesn't matter how strong you are. If you, if you can't ride a bike well, then it's just going to be a bad time. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, night and day, I didn't spend a lot of time there, but my short time there was very eye opening. And then you'd come back and you'd feel like you had so much space here in the Peloton. Yeah. It gets like that a little like long, you know, further into the year, the stage races, things get a little calmer, but but like the classic springtime racing, I guess is what I was referring to. Oh, okay. Right. And yeah. when you went over, um, did you find there was a big difference in I kind of, when you're home, you have so much control over everything. Like you have your, your own food and you can get whatever you want. And was that a challenge or were you set up well enough that it wasn't really a challenge? I never struggled with that too much. I think I've always been a pretty flexible Isha, um, things like that. And I would always travel with things from home that made me feel secure. So if it wasn't food, but like, say my pillow or something that like made me feel comfortable, I'd travel with things that made me feel comfortable. Also, like where I was living in Sichard, the grocery store, I think Albert Hein is like literally my favorite grocery store in all of the world. And it has all of the options and all of the things. Um, nice. I didn't have a car, so it was like a little bit hard to try and figure out when to not have to ride in the rain to go and get food. But for the most part, I felt I felt pretty OK with that part when I got there. You know, like there's a lot of bread and cheese and, and I was fine with that. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, speaking of nutrition, I've read a few articles uh, about some of your experiences when you were over in Europe. And that's something I really want to spend a lot of time talking about with you today, because I think it's very important. And I think the more that we can get this type of information and these conversations um, with athletes like yourself who have gone through these experiences out there, um, the better, because unfortunately, there's still a, a real lack of education around sports nutrition and fueling for for all types of sports, but I find in particular for endurance sports. So I'm wondering if you can tell me a little bit about your experience that with REDS. And for anyone listening, um, REDS is relative energy deficiency in sport. And essentially, if you think about the calories that you consume in a day, minus the calories that you expend during exercise, whatever you have left over to operate your body is very important, right? So you have to think about your bone health and, you know, your muscles and your mood and your sleep and all these systems and your hormones that help you to stay healthy. And what happens is a lot of athletes um, either intentionally don't eat enough and therefore don't have enough energy left to operate their bodies or in not by intention. So unintentionally, they expend so much energy that the same thing happens. And so for example, you consume 3000 calories, you expend 6000. And it's maybe not intentional, but you don't realize that there's a lot of things happening in your body. And you're, you're not really sure why, but it's because you don't have enough energy left to um, run your body and all the other physiological functions. So could you talk to us a little bit about your experience with nutrition when you were over racing in Europe? Yeah, um, I think when I first went to Europe, I had previously been on this track team and my nutrition plan was to eat protein every three hours and kind of beef up because I was the smallest one on the team pursuit team. 
Um, and then I went to Europe and signed for Team Sunweb, which is a Dutch team and they're now Team DSM. And they were like, you're a great climber. And I was like, that's interesting. I've never been told that before. And then they kind of put me in work with this nutritionist and wanted me to be at a certain weight. And when I was kind of like, oh, you know, how did you, how do I know that this is the right weight? They were like, oh, you know, just trust us, basically. Um, and I did. And I thought they were the best team in the world. So all I had to do was listen to them and everything would be fine. Um, I started to maybe see a few more cracks here and there through that experience. Uh, but Basically, what happened was I'd, I'd always had a really regular cycle. My period had always come like spot on all the time. If it was a few days late, I was, oh my gosh, I must be pregnant. Something's wrong with me. Like, what's happening? And then when I started doing this, I would completely lose my period for, you know, months at a time. And I was also just feeling like kind of lethargic and not super strong and just not quite myself. And then in the past, especially from my track background, I'd been like a pretty punchy rider and I knew I could get over hills. So, um, that's kind of, I saw myself as an all-rounder and I was then trying to fit into this mold of this climber. And I think from then on, I kind of paid more attention to food a bit more. And But when I lost my period, it was um, kind of alarming for me. I was just like, I've never lost, I'm 24, 25 at this point. So like I've been having my period for a long time, 10 years or something. And um, I just, it, yeah, it just, I found it super alarming. So my first thing was like, I need to talk to a doctor. Like, why is this happening to me? I didn't know that this was a normal thing that lots of women struggled with. I honestly had no idea about reds. I had no idea about, yeah, like that this is actually like really common for a lot of endurance females or even just really, really young teenagers um, because they've been athletic since they were super young. Um, even particularly, I think where I live in Boulder, you know, lots of kids do a lot of sports from a really young age. And uh, so I just went into learning as much about it as I could. And from then on, it wasn't necessarily a smooth road forward because at that point I developed some, I'm not going to call it a full eating disorder, but like definitely some disordered eating um, habits that would come and go with how I felt in life. I would say it was actually even my worst, my last year of my career, just because I was, I think I was a little bit panicked, uh, probably because it was my last year. It was an Olympic year. I was just was trying to control everything, and food became something that I could really control, um, even though I recognized maybe that what I was doing wasn't right. So it's definitely not been a very smooth path forward, but something that really motivated me was if my body wasn't able to have enough energy to do the one thing that it should do happily on its own naturally then how does it have enough energy to dedicate to my sport and building muscle and all of this so I I spent a lot of time doing that and definitely pushing towards it even when I kind of spiraled in my own head or when I was alone for too long and and not held accountable or didn't want to admit that maybe I needed to be held accountable I still had that in my mind being like you need to change things and so for me I never lost my period more than six months at a time which is still long but you meet a lot of women where it's years and years and years at a time. And, and I've never been on birth control, hormonal birth control that would have stopped my period otherwise, which I think is still common too for a lot of women. And where maybe there's a gray area or confusion about why they are or are not getting that cycle. And I think a lot of women have different tells for red, not necessarily just your menstrual cycle. Um, but for me, that was like my biggest tell. And I could tell when I was probably dropping too low was when I would stop getting my cycle every month. Right. every month, I guess. Yeah. And when you went to the doctor, was it like a sports medicine doctor? And were they able to talk to you about reds? Or how did you discover that A was resulting in B? 
I actually talked to Dr. Stacy Sims a little bit. She was super helpful for me. I'd met her before um, because I grew up in the East Bay and she'd lived there for a while. Um, so back in my peanut butter days, pro man days, I'd met her actually. And I think she remembered me a bit um, and was super willing to help me. And it was great to talk to somebody like her. Um, and I'd read her book, Raw, and all of that. So her and then there was a doctor here um, at CU Medicine, Dr. Valentine, I talked to and also... Uh, Lindsay Hyman, she's down at Colorado Springs. So I had quite a lot of strong women in in sports as well, which I found really helpful because I'd done a lot of Googling and a lot of Googling told me that maybe just talking to your general doctor might not have the best information for you. So I was I was glad for that. And my coach, Ben Day, he stayed in touch with all of these doctors at the same time too. And so I was really involving my coach in in those conversations. And we, she was just basically like, you need to cut back your training so we would never do more than two days on at a time um and things like that and ben was really on board with all of that and i ended up feeling way stronger this was like probably when i stopped getting my period at the beginning of 2018 and then towards like the middle of the year i was like what's going on and very quickly after that i had some help um with ben and stacy and just figuring out what was the right nutrition path and maybe the nutrition path that i've been on that the team had given me was you know, six to 800 calories too low and, and things like that. So we just really had to bump up the calories. But Stacey was great because she's like, I know this is scary to start eating more. So like, I know this is maybe hard. So just try and do it over time. Like, you know, you've not, you're not, she was like, you're not too far gone or something. You know, you've only, you've caught this really early. She was really proud and impressed that I talked to her as soon as I did. Yeah, it is great. And it's good for anyone listening to, to reach out and speak with someone if something seems off um you were mature enough at that time and probably sounds like you had some good knowledge about your body I imagine now if someone was 16 or maybe didn't have that type of knowledge or or insight um how difficult that could be when you know that you just want to listen to your team and you know be the climber that they want you to be and follow the direction what do you say to someone who might be in those shoes yeah it's really hard because I know that feeling because I was there before um, and like you said I had more wisdom because I'd already been kind of pushed into boxes or been told that I didn't know best before and I'd seen it played out and been like oh actually that's not true um, so I think that I would just tell somebody to really trust themselves and that they know themselves better than anybody else knows them. Even if they're 16, they still know what feels good and what doesn't. And there are a lot of people with a lot of authority out there that are going to try and tell you that they discovered you or they found you or they made you who you are and, and you make yourself who you are and, and you're in control of that. Even if it feels super scary at the time, if something feels wrong in your gut, then try and find the right people to talk to, to either confirm or deny those feelings. Yeah, that's a really good point. And, you know, you had mentioned that you had lost your period for six months and that, you know, that's not the only sign. And, and in fairness, like, that's not the only reason someone could lose their period either. So it's great yeah. to go to a physician, you know, because it could be something else. Um, obviously, someone could be pregnant, but there are other reasons. So it's always great to, to find out why. But just for anyone listening, like you could also just be exhausted. And like you mentioned, you just didn't have that pop anymore that you you were known for right from being on the track and being snappy with your legs and you know it could be that you're not sleeping well or you're really moody um did you have any other signs like besides that 
Um, I was super moody, but I think it was just because I lived in the Netherlands and it was so cold that <laughs> spring. Um, and I, and then as the year went on, it got warmer, but I was also getting help from from other people at the time. So uh, it's, it's hard to say, but yes, I was definitely moody. And I was just a little bit struggling on this team, I think, just in general. They're just a Dutch team with a lot of very strict rules. And I was like, ah, no, 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 I've lived like this before. I did this on the track program. I'm not doing it again. And I was super resistant and probably a bit moody at times. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're not sure where it came from then but yeah just for anyone listening I mean there there are lots of um other symptoms and signs to to look out for so I can link to some articles on that you said something interesting that you were kind of given like a weight that would be good for you and I think that's worth talking about because I'm not a believer that an arbitrary number is uh ever a good idea when someone just says you should be x weight you know unless there's a lot of data behind like you at all these different times in your racing where that's coming from but what do you think about that and how did that make you feel yeah I've, if it felt i just assumed that they knew best at first because of all of these things and it wasn't probably until you know i lost my period and I was feeling tired and I started talking to Stacey Sims that I actually went back and asked them like how did you get this number and in my mind they were just like oh well we'd seen you kind of close to it before and you could at least lose a kilo or two so you know that was the number we picked some some excuse like that or some reason and to me I was just like but what if that number before was like the number I should have been at you know um and they were like no you can lose some weight and I was like okay so I think yeah it was really hot like at first I didn't realize that it wasn't and then I kind of realized that it was um just by realizing you know coming to terms that maybe everybody that maybe everything that everybody says isn't always right and I think this was wrapped up with just seeing that just because it's such a great team doesn't mean it's like the team for me and I just had these like I don't know, sparkly blinders on for a while. Like, oh my gosh, I've just joined this amazing team and they know everything and it's great. And then slowly I was like, maybe everything isn't that great, you know, for me. I'm yeah. not saying they're a bad team for everybody, but. Right. You know. Yeah, for sure. It's just like imagining your dream company to work for instead of like the, the dream aspects of it, like the culture and the energy and the, right. Instead of like the yeah, name exactly. of it. Um, and I think what you're saying is really important because I've seen that before as well, like, um, coaches recommending like a certain weight and and it doesn't, you know, there, there needs to be a really good reason to say something like that. I can't imagine what even that would be because of course, power to weight is important in cycling, but like you said, they saw you doing so well climbing and they saw you doing so well climbing at X weight. Right. So it doesn't always mean that losing weight will make you better. So, so many athletes are already on that red line of, of leanness that if you go lower, like you could just fall apart and and lose your power on the flats or even climbing. If you, if you get, you know, reds or you're just not fueling enough. So I think that that's so important for athletes listening that it's not a number. Like you have to, you have to pay attention to everything. You can't just have a number and then just crumble as an athlete. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Go ahead. It's true. Yeah, what you said is true. There's still a glorified um, body type, unfortunately, in cycling. And I think that so many people are pushing hard to get away from it, like this, this ripped look that an athlete might have. 
what I like is that I find a lot of women in the um, women's pro road Peloton actually don't fit that stereotype. And I love that. I think it's really great for athletes to see just a more strong, powerful body type um, doing well over climbs, right? And then winning the sprint. What kind of message would you give to, um, I, I don't even want to say just young athletes, but any athletes who are kind of thinking like, I need to achieve a certain appearance. I think that comparison is so hard. I think that so, so many people struggle with comparison, athlete or non-athlete. Um, so I would first say, like, just keep in mind that it is perfectly normal to want to compare. But the only way that you're going to be your best self is to accept your best self and who you are and your body shape and make your body shape and your body type work the best that you can for you because I think it's right like we watch the best climbers and we think oh you know like they don't have boobs or they have really tiny butts or like they don't you know they super skinny like I don't even know what you know like whatever you decide is the thing that you think is more ideal like we all have those things that we think or most of us do I'd like to meet someone who doesn't <laughs> be great um but like trying to not focus on those and really accept you for what you have and and put that forward I think um it's the only advice I can give and it's not easy advice to take and it's not easy to implement but at the end of the day that's how you'll be your best and I think another reason I had such a good season in my last year is because I was like well I can't do anything different anymore I just had this level of acceptance of like this is I can't fight myself anymore I can't beat my head against a brick wall trying to be something that I'm not I just really had to accept this is who I am. This is what I've got. And because I gave myself more confidence, I think I raced with more confidence and had more results, honestly. Yeah, no, that's yeah. amazing. And you mentioned um, that you were kind of pigeonholed as a climber. I've heard different opinions on that. You know, if, if you really are a great climber, well, then capitalize on that physiology and go for it. What do you think about um how that might make an athlete feel. How did that make you feel? Like, do you think that's a good idea to say to an athlete? Uh, that's such a hard question to answer because everybody's so different, right? Like for me, it was a bad thing to do. I was like, oh, am I interesting? Because I'm pretty sure I was just a team pasuta, which is a four minute effort where we start and stay on flat ground, you know, and it's not what I've been doing. And now I'm racing in Europe and my desire is to be really good at the spring classics, which sure have hills, but they're not like, your climate hills at punching hills but I think if you met someone who was like I want to win I don't know the Tour de France stage that ends on the top of the climb then I would be like okay well if you have the body type for that and you want to call yourself a climber then I'm not going to sit here and tell you you're not because that is the case for some people like my very good friend and teammate Katie Hall like she was such a great climber and she was proud of that and good at that um, but she was annoyed that she wasn't better at other things so then it's like when people only called her a climber, she wanted to be better at different things. And I think the same, you know, like we all find ourselves wanting to be probably pretty good at everything and that's where it's hard. Um, but I think some of that comes from that self-acceptance bit too, right? Like you have to be okay with what you're okay with doing and people are going to always say what people are going to say. Um, but you have to know what your strengths are and it's probably going to be true that you're going to be better at something versus something else. But it doesn't mean that you won't be able to do the other things as well. It doesn't mean like if a climate came to a sprint, of course, like if it's a flat <laughs> hundred people sprint, they're probably not going to do great. But like that doesn't mean they can't sprint in any situation. And so you don't want to like put that idea in someone's head that if they're in a breakaway of 10, 
oh, they can't sprint because they're a climber, which it's not, you can still sprint, you know? So that's where I would get nervous of like trying to tell someone they can and can't do something. Oh, for sure. Because think of the difference after five hours of racing is not like a sprint fresh out of your house, right? So it depends who's got the fitness at the end of that. So you're a climber if it's a, yeah, I agree with that. And I think you're making a great point about, you know, accepting yourself because I mean, no matter how thin I am, I'm never going to be, for example, someone who's vascular, right? I don't have that uh, genetics. And some people legitimately barely train and they look ripped, right? So I think it's so important to, and I know some of those people, (laughs) it's like, oh, I don't even work out. So I think it's so important to, you know, recognize that. And, you know, as you're saying, comparison is the thief of joy, as, as they say, whoever they are. But but it is really true, right? And I think that it is really powerful when you get to a point where you're like, okay, so this is me and how can I capitalize on on me and my strengths? And and like you're saying, you know, you were thinking, oh, I'm an all-arounder, but it doesn't mean you can't still be amazing for your teammates and other parts of a race. Like you're not, no one's just something, right? Yeah. You're always capable, especially at your level. Of course, you're good at everything, right? <laughs> you just might be like better at something. Yeah, I mean, and like sometimes the people that were really great climbers or really great t- time trialists, they had such a clear path of what they were doing and what they were racing and targeting and everything. And I was just out there being like, I guess I'll try and be good at all of them. I don't know. Like, I'm not great at any one thing, but that was also okay in the end, too, you know? So, oh, for sure. I want to talk about, um, so kind of a, I guess, a comeback from that nutrition situation when after you worked with Stacy and, and the other physicians, and then you came to the Nationals at 2019. If anyone hasn't watched this race, you have to watch it. In fact, my husband and I watched the last like 20 minutes again last week, and he had forgotten it. So it was like, oh my God, that's insane. It really is the most insane finish to a race. But Tell me what you were thinking when you went into that race. And I especially want to know um, what was going through your head in the last mile. <laughs> yeah, going into that race, I don't really know what I was expecting. Nationals is always just such an odd, odd competition because like you, you just don't know what's going to happen, really. And so many people just watch the big riders that it's almost impossible to get away. Um, going into it though, I mean, I'd been training really well, uh, back into this year, I'd, I'd been having my period again at the beginning of 2019, maybe like missed one or two here and there, but for the most part, like was much more regular than I had been the year before. And, and I was now, now on Trek Segafredo, not on, not on the previous team, but still working with Ben, my coach and, um, all those other things had still been the same. Uh, and I just like did a really smart attack and I think it was too early in the race for people to want to chase. But then the way I stayed away was I just kept going and there was a break up the front already. So I kind of stayed with them for a little bit. Um, but then I just remember for the first, I was a while for like away for maybe an hour or something. I want to say like I was gone for a while. Um, and at first I would watch my power meter and make sure I wasn't like going over, you know, too much over what I knew I could handle. But then for the last lap, cause you do this lap at nationals, um, which is probably like a 20 minute lap or something, 25 minute lap. I just turned the whole thing off and I just would stare at the white line down the middle of the, on the road that I was riding. And I would just go as hard as I possibly could. And I knew that they were right there catching me towards the end. But at that point you have like two miles to go 
if you get caught, you're so dead from being out for two hours, you're not doing anything else. So I just thought, well, you ha- your only option is to just keep going as hard as you can. And then in the last mile, there's a couple corners. So it's just like going as hard as I can into the corners and then breathing through the corners and trying to breathe in the corner and like sprint between the corner. And I basically did that to the finish line. And yeah, if you watch the race, you'll see that they were like right behind me, just kind of oh, like not fully wanting to commit to the chase. But it was just about just, yeah, putting your head down and just going with it. And at the end of the day, when I saw my power file, I had some of the best numbers of my life. It's like my best hour with my best 20 minute with my best five minute, like all combined in this, like, which is crazy to think about. But, you know, it just all came together that day. That's awesome. Very cool. And it's great that in six months you were able to, um, you know, come back from kind of being a bit of a hole just from focusing on improving your nutrition. How did you improve your nutrition? Was it kind of general, just eat more carbohydrates type of thing? A lot of it was just eat more, (laughs) to be honest. Like I've I've always been a really good eater. Um, And I mean that in like what I choose to eat, how I choose to eat and how much I eat. Like I've always just liked food in general and and I and I kind of hate the word healthy like I really try and avoid saying it because it's just one of those words that just like makes you think that you can and can't eat certain foods where I'm just kind of more like moderation of course like eating fried food or super fatty food that's maybe super saturated fats and all of this are like not the best foods but I also just think that if you eat things that aren't whole foods then it's like maybe those should have a different name but like food in general is healthy um, and you just eat those foods that are foods that you can recognize. And to me, that's just food. It's not healthy food. It's just food. Um, right. And so I've always been really good with that. So yeah, my changing my, my eating was just eating more and, and also just going with this training program for a while to help me get fully back up to track that I've mentioned already, which was just two days on one day off. And I wouldn't do any three or four day blocks. I would just kind of stay, uh, yeah, shorter blocks, which are just two day blocks. Um, and then I paid a lot of attention to getting a recovery drink in. Um, I definitely fell into that trap of like, oh, well, if I just don't drink a recovery drink, then, you know, then I will skip calories because then I just eat lunch or something like that. Or, you know, if I have a recovery drink, then I don't need to have lunch before I have dinner because that means that I'll just make a bigger recovery drink and I'll have that. And so I definitely fell into this. And I've seen a couple of people do where it's like, no, you still need to have the recovery drink and have lunch. Like, don't try and skip calories that way. So which is good because I didn't like to be hungry all the time. And I just listened to myself more and, and all of that, you know, it's not fun to be a hungry person. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Being hangry is real. When you were racing something like the Giro, did you ever, um, you know, it's like a job to eat sometimes during a stage race. How did you, or maybe you didn't feel that way. I, I didn't feel like I was saying I was good either. I never, people oh, good. Like, oh, you have to eat again. And I'm like, oh, frick, give me a pasta. I want it. Oh, awesome. <laughs> That's fine. good. Yeah. Yeah. No, I never really had too much. Cause I was, you're hungry too. You're racing right. so hard. Like you're, you're not like you're not hungry. You're freaking hungry. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. I mean, maybe like the bland pasta and the overcooked chicken that you would get at every hotel, like got a little old at times, but yeah. Um, yeah. And so on the bike, what, what's your, cause I know you're still racing. So what type of uh, intake do you generally follow when you're doing like races that are, you know, over three hours or. I generally try and eat every 30 minutes. Um, and whether that's like a gel, uh, I was definitely a rider that would eat more solid foods than some others. I was fine with having, you know, maybe like a little panini with jam and jam in it, something like that, little sandwich. I just found that I got super hungry if all I ate was gels uh, in a race. I would just still be really hungry at the end. Um, 
So I didn't really quite like relying on gel. So typically just like trying to eat every 30 minutes. Um, definitely in these gravel events that I'm doing more of now, I'm eating more gels because it's just kind of hard to eat, which I didn't think I'd ever say. But if you're in like a big bunch of people and like gravel flying in your face, you can't like, I don't know. It's, so I'm eating a lot of gels these days, which yeah. I didn't think I would, I don't know, stop racing in Belgium and have to eat more. <laughs> Do you have a favorite? Um, I like... I I like the Cliff Bar ones, but they're harder to eat. So for simplicity, I like the SIS gels. Um, the flavor of the Cliff Bar I like more, but the SIS are like liquidy. Oh, okay. Yeah, which is fun. I don't have a nutrition sponsor right now, so I can basically like eat whatever I want to eat all of the time. Oh, nice, um, nice. The SIS ones just go down really easily. Yeah, if anyone's listening, Ruth wouldn't mind a nutrition sponsor. <laughs> I'm just no, kidding. I wouldn't. <laughs> She doesn't. Oh, that's awesome. Good. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So you obviously had a few years of um, not knowing what was happening with the pandemic. I'm curious how that did or didn't impact your decision to uh, retire from the road scene. Um, it definitely impacted it. I hopefully you can't hear this little tiny dog that's just barking his head off. That's okay. Here. It's a real life podcast. <laughs> Sorry, everybody. You're outside um, in nature. It's good. Uh, yeah, it it did because I loved being at home. Like I really, really loved being at home. And I think I knew my time was coming to an end soon because, I mean, people had asked me, do I even like racing my bike sometimes? Because I just, uh, I'm a real homebody and I love being at home. Um and I think I didn't handle a lot of the pressure, especially as you get better um, and the expectation with all of that. And like what I wanted to achieve too was getting bigger. Um, but, but through the year of the pandemic, the actual uh, 2021, oh no, 2020, that year we went back to race in July and I just, I just didn't race well at all. And I felt terrible. And I was like, I can't stop this year. Like after this, because this is not the bike race that I am. And I think in a way it just helped me be the bike racer I was last year and like really finish the year the way that I wanted to finish it and then I finished and even when I won big races I was like I am cannot wait and I'm so glad that this is my last year you know I just I just felt so sure of it while was the year before uh yeah 2020 I just was just yeah a bit I don't know all over the place with emotion so it was good yeah oh good for you yeah I've heard I've heard you um speak in another podcast and you mentioned how much you you like to be home um and congratulations because i know you got married thank recently. you yeah. yeah when people are like oh are you ready to travel again i'm like i don't think you know where i live like i live up in the mountains in colorado like i literally live up at you know eight thousand feet up in mountains like i just it's really beautiful like people come from everywhere to visit this place <laughs> right yeah no that's absolutely amazing yeah, and I've yeah, I've been able to be competitive my whole life, so I think I just felt okay with where I was. Right. So did you really retire or are you going <laughs> are you going to start gravel racing and mountain biking? Well, you know, I like to say retiring is other people's words. I don't know that I've actually Right. I guess, right. Like, yeah. I assume those words cuz that's what everybody says, but yeah. I like to call it a career change. I've nice. been lucky enough that trek like gravel racing in the US has been getting a lot bigger. 
And I've always wanted to do some mountain bike stuff that I've just never, ever been able to do because I've been gone all the time. And my husband loves mountain biking. And it's just like something so much fun that we do. That's so much fun that we do together. Um, So there's definitely part of me that's like going to do some of these events anyway. I don't know that I would have done all the gravel events. Like they're not, honestly, they're not my favorite. They're really, really long. They're just like kind of grueling. You're just out there in the middle of the nowhere suffering along. And I can see why people love it, but I'm just like, I've suffered for cycling a lot. Like I want to be having a good time now. And just sometimes in those gravel events, you're just like eight hours is too many hours, everybody. Oh, like, yeah. like it's a long time. So the mountain biking particularly I like, and I do feel fortunate that Trek said, you know, like, you know, we'll keep you on, on a, like a really low basis. Like it's definitely less salary than you were getting before, but like, well, it was some financial stability one for me. Cause I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do. Like, I have no idea how I'm going to make enough money to help support us and all of this. And then two, I think I, I've struggled a bit with trying to find this balance of where I feel about how I feel about sport and how I feel about competing. But then if I didn't have it at all, I'm nervous that I would have also just struggled from withdrawal, basically, because um, it's definitely been such a huge part of my life. And, and I've enjoyed having it still be there to some degree. Yeah. Well, if you love it, I mean, right. It's it's different. Yeah, I love my than... bike. I love riding my bike. I love being there. I need to find out how I feel about competing still, I think, like even this last race. Um I don't remember if I said that I could I could feel the energy of the the women that really were there to win and do it. And I'm like, I know that I know it. I can see it. I know it yeah. because I, I know it, you know, and I'm like, and I'm not there. I don't want to do it. I don't want to be there. I know I can be there. But um, yeah, I just I'm just not there right now. And I, maybe next year will be different. Who knows? I think some of it's like last year, I was literally going to the Olympics, maybe like racing my bike through the mud in Wisconsin at a race that's like got no TV coverage. And I'm just not that inspired. And it doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with the people that are. But for me and where I am, I just need to like, rediscover if I feel competitive, will I want to feel competitive? Or am I just here? Because like, quite honestly, I have a lot of just like residual fitness and natural talent. And like, it's really fun to go and hang out with your friends at bike races and promote Trek because I think they're a great brand and this is a big space where this is happening. Um, so yeah. Ah, it sounds fun. I mean, there's no rush, right? You're young and I mean, you don't even have to be young. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I think there's like people of all kinds of life doing these travel races too. Right. Like, and that's, I think more relatable because, you know, thousands of people come to these events thousands of people are not winning these events you know they're there to participate and with their being in the community and participating with these people and and you know and they just find it cool to ride with Ruth Linda because of what I've done before and and it's and it's just a really fun kind of space to be in oh for sure and you have you know you're such a good role model so that that's important too to have good role models out uh, in women's cycling you mentioned that, of course, you went to the Olympics, um, the Worlds, you, you've raced on all the, the biggest um, platforms. I'm really curious, you know, I think, and I've, I've heard other athletes talk about this before, that sometimes when you're younger or at any age, you just dream of going to the Olympics. And there might be this sense of, you know, when I get there then I'll be satisfied and, and then I'll be happy. Like th- that's it. That's the thing. So I'd love if you could talk to us about, you know, how true was that for you? And if it wasn't true for you, like what have you learned through that? Yeah. I've, I feel like I've tried to answer this question before and I always try to not sound like 
I don't I don't know how I sound because I obviously have been to the Olympics, right? So for someone to now say it afterwards, they can be like, yeah, but you did go. And I'm like, okay, I did go. So when I went in 2016, I didn't actually ride. I was there, but I never I never rode. Um, but while we were there, the coach didn't tell me that I wasn't riding until, so for Team Pursuit, you get to ride three times. Um, okay. so I didn't find out I wasn't riding until like the last day and it was kind of a miserable experience for me, but, um, because of my history with the program and everything, like I was, I wasn't, it wasn't, it was a little bit more numb at that point because we'd been through this whole process, but the whole process wasn't very much, wasn't very much fun for me either. And then the Olympics came and they went and I was just like, that's like what everybody has been telling me is like the thing to do. Like you make the Olympics and it's great. And I don't know if it's because my family are British. And I think that when you watch bike racing from a European background, the Olympics are not the biggest thing in bike racing. So for me, I never felt like the Olympics was the biggest thing like as a child growing up. But it was definitely told I was definitely told that it's what you have to do. Like if you want to go, then you need to join the track program and you move to Colorado Springs and, you know, you live there and you do this and that and the other and you put up with it all and and all of this and then you go and I went and I was just like I went and I left and I was like is that it is that what it was it was for because like it it wasn't worth the last three years of me like feeling pretty miserable to be honest so I think that when I got to go again I tried to not even think about it I was just like I want to have a really good year leading up to the Olympics and I want to have a really good year because I know it's going to be my last year the Olympics are a little bit of a coincidence and of course I want to go, of course I want to represent the U S and I want to have a good race and, and it would be amazing. And I'm not trying to say that it wouldn't be, but I also had had the experience before to realize that it's just this day. It's just this day. And if you don't, that day can be, anything can happen. You could have trained hardest, been really fit. You know, in my case, maybe the coach just didn't want to ride me because of whatever his own reasons were. And, um, and maybe like in a road race, you could get a flat or or you could have a crash or you could get sick the day before, especially through COVID. Like you didn't know if you were actually going to make it because you might get COVID. And, it, and so I just really had this feeling like you have to make the lead up to it really worth it. And you have to be liking what you're doing and you have to have big goals that are before that. Um, because at the end of the day, the Olympics are so cool and you're going to be so happy when you go. But if you don't go you're also, it doesn't change who you are. It doesn't change whether you did or didn't have a successful career because so few people make it. So few people get to go. You still can be a fantastic athlete and never, ever make the Olympics. Like Ina Toynberg, my boss on track, and she's, she didn't make it, but she doesn't mean that she's not been the most fantastic coach and, and director and everything for me. So, right. No, I think that that's super important. Um, first of all, that you're right, and not a lot of people make it. So you better be enjoying the journey of bike racing, right? Yeah. Um, or even like the world's team, you know, a lot of people are just want to be on the national team or all of these things. But yeah, it just could be really painful to, to not make that and then just attach your identity to that. Yeah, for sure. And I, and I watched some friends go through that that pain and it's really it's really hard and it's hard to convince them that they are great you know but they're like well if I was great I'd be going and I'm like oh it's, I hope in the future they don't feel that way anymore and I think with time it does it does kind of ease it but there are so many for us bike races there's so so many bike races to do and you can have an amazing career but then get sick or just not make it all you know not win the right races at the right time like there's so many things that go into this kind of political mess to even make an Olympic team um, 
that it's just really hard. <laughs> yeah, and, and there is politics, right? So we, we can't ignore that. Um, you mentioned that when you were racing, like the whole pie was probably about racing and bike racing, but what else do you love to do? What else do I love to do? Um, I, I love baking. So like to talk about food more, I really love baking. Even through the pandemic, I started my own little bakery company called Window Baked and I would like deliver all my baked goods around to all my friends and, That's and so stuff cool. like that. Um, I do coach. I'm a coach. So I coach uh, on Training Peaks for, uh, for um, why am I blanking for a second, for Apex Coaching. Okay. And um, that's Neil Henderson's coaching group. He is working a lot for Wahoo now, says, um, but still has this coaching group. So I coach for him. And then I also coach in-person juniors. We have a junior club in Boulder, which has 250 juniors in the entire club. Wow. I coach mostly just the high schoolers in person. So we have practice. We don't call it training, which I love. We have practice two times a week. Um, and they have right now we're in the cyclocross season, which is a little bit funny because no, I have never raced cyclocross before. Um, but that's okay. <laughs> they all wanted me to stay on as a coach. So I'm, so I'm coaching that. Um, I'm working as a bike fitter in this bike fit studio in Niwot called Ivan O'Gorman. Um, I'm, I've got like a bajillion part-time jobs while I figure out what the heck I'm doing with myself. And I apparently yeah. like to stay busy. And then the last one, which is really fun, which, um, I know you know about is the Yamade with my dad and my sister actually, which is just us being cycling dork fans, combining, uh, cycling photos with, with rider data. Yeah. So tell me more about that. Yeah, Yamade is, um, it was my dad's idea originally, and he has been an entrepreneur for a long time now and has recently sold his last startup company. And this was kind of like him just wanting to have fun. And so we basically started by contacting a lot of photographers to get their, their photos. And we are working with some of the best photographers out there. They give us direct access to their images. And then from there, we take the data from the riders. And hopefully we'll have some cool ones that come out after the world championships because we're kind of winding down on the season. It's been a bit, it's been a bit slow, but we basically, we take the data and we put them in these graphs and we take one minute of data. So you get to see for the image we call them the moments. So you see the 30 seconds before the moment the, Im the image was taken and 30 seconds after. So you get to kind of see more about like what was happening in the photo. Sometimes we'll have two or three riders in a photo and you can see that their data kind of compare the, them right next to each other um but yeah it's just fun we have like google maps attached so you can see where in the world they were we have a lot of information on the rider and then also the photographer that took the image um so yeah it's, it's just been fun to for me it's been fun because i think i started riding bikes like hanging out with my dad and my family because that's what he did and yeah. now he's he loved watching me race and and everything and now we kind of work on this other project and eventually we'd like to be an old sport we don't want it to just be a cycling company we want it to be something that like we hope to change how sports photography is engaged with right now that's the biggest goal is to just make these um yeah make this platform where imagery is is more than just more than just an image like that you see on instagram but maybe there's more to something there's more of a story behind and behind is it digital image. Yeah, so right now we're on a website, um, just digital, yeah. Okay, so then you would kind of get the digital photo and then would you hover it to get more information or it'll just be right there? So when you click the image, you there'll be these little um, hotspots that kind of jump up on the rider where the data is shared. So then from there, you can click through and you'll see down at the bottom, there'll be a bar where it says data and then we'll see, you know, maps and metrics. That's stuff cool. Like that. 
Yeah. And tell me about the name of the company. The name is, so Yamade is a family name, like a Greek, it's a Greek family name, and they were the original administrators of the Olympics. So ah, they were okay. the compilers of the results uh, from way back the first Olympics. And we That's couldn't believe cool. that that name hadn't been taken yet. And we thought it was just really, really fitting for, for what we were trying to do. So if anybody wants to check it out, yeah, it's just yeah, Yamade.com, which is... I how do you spell it? I know. I'm like, I'm going to just double check so I don't say it wrong. Yeah. Um, and I'll make sure to put it in the show notes too. It's I-A-M-I-D-A-E.com. Yamaday. Awesome. Yeah. That's super exciting. What's your favorite thing to bake? Hmm. That's hard. I just made a banana bread today and I make banana bread probably like every three days because that's about how long <laughs> it takes me to eat one banana bread. Um, <sighs> I don't know, but like I cook and I bake a lot. Like I make a lot of stuff from scratch. I love making a birthday cake when it's like time to make like a big birthday cake, but for the most part, just banana bread regularly, pancakes regularly, scones. But yeah. I'm also like love going out to bakery. So Sometimes I don't make specific things because I know I'll eat them. Like people are like, oh, have you ever tried making croissants? And I'm like, no, I have not because the Bet's Bakery is not that far away and I will go and spend my money there. Thank you. <laughs> Do you and Leah have the same banana bread recipe? Oh, uh, it's probably similar. I don't remember yeah. if hers uses olive oil or butter, but I've been really into olive oil banana breads lately just because um, my parents don't eat lactose. So it's just been easy to share. Pieces oh, okay. with them. Yeah, that's awesome. Super exciting. So before I ask you the last question, I know that we really wanted to talk about nutrition and um, the cycling community. And I want to make sure, is there anything else you want to talk about around that? No, I think we've we've covered a lot. I think my main point was just like, be confident with who you are. You don't have to be starving, you know. Um, and if you need help, there are like a lot of people out there with enough knowledge to, to help. Mm-hmm. For sure. Speak up for yourself, right? I think you make a good point about, you know, there's just, there are some great people in power, but there's also, you know, unfortunately, that's not always the case. So if something feels off to definitely speak up. Um, so my last question is always around the name of my podcast. And uh, maybe this, this weekend's race might be relative to your answer, but I'm sure you have like a million ways to answer this. And the podcast is called Imperfect Progress. And the older I get, I just realize that's what life is all about. Like very rarely does anything go exactly how I have planned it. So I'm curious, you know, as an athlete and and so much more, um, whatever you want to relate your answer around, there's so many times when things just do not go the way you imagine them. They're not going as planned. And I'd love it if you could speak to what do you tell yourself during those times to continue to move forward? I think now I tell myself that that's just kind of the way life goes. And what's your option? You know, your option is to either be a sad pit or to keep moving forward. And, and I, and I don't mean that to say you shouldn't recognize feelings and emotions because I've been learning how to do that a lot. Actually, I've been working with a psychologist and an expression coach to actually learn how to feel feelings. Um, and just accepting them and then being able to live with them and move on. Uh, but I think that, yeah, you, like you just, when I was younger, it, it felt more overwhelming at times. It felt like it was harder to accept when things weren't going on because I, I thought that there were people out there that were perfect and it's, and it's just not, 
perfect progress would be lovely to see. I've not seen that for anybody now. Um, and just trying to, I guess, let more people know that that's okay if it's not, because we're all just doing our best and the best you can do, although maybe that is oversaid and maybe annoying to hear when you're trying to be the best in the best. <laughs> but all you can really do is your best at any given day or time. Right. And that might look different every day, right? It's, exactly. Uh, or your goals change. Or like you might want to just have fun in a bike race and not be trying to like win the bike race. You know, like you said, for me now, that's like how I'm just trying to have a good time. Yeah. No, I appreciate that. It's great to hear how much you're you're still growing. And I love that, um, you know, you went into the race on the weekend. And what I think is really cool is when we're not afraid to fail at something new right? I think that's just so powerful to to just keep learning. And really, that's kind of the spice of life. I have a six-year-old daughter and and I ask her every week, what did you fail at this week? And she doesn't get it. She's like, why you? The other day, she finally said, why do you want me to fail at something? And I was like, because it means you're trying. And she's like, oh, right. And I'm like, yeah, so it's cool too. And I tell her the same thing. I still do that. Like, I'm so much older than you. So it's it's awesome to see you in there in these crazy muddy races, slipping and sliding. And and I know you're going to just keep getting better at it because you're Ruth Winder, but <laughs> yeah. I think I'll get better at it if I apply myself to get better at it. It's not exactly. going to happen magically, but I don't know no. that I want to apply myself. And if I right. don't, then that's okay too. I can choose other things. Like that's the, that's kind of where I am in life right now is to spend time on EM a day and bike fitting and coaching and, and dedicate yeah. myself and, and set goals in, in different ways and be okay with the people that want to say, Oh, Ruth only got 15th. Rah, rah, rah. Why she's not as fit as she was before. And I'm like, no, that's, that's true. Like that's true. And that's yeah. okay. Yeah. I mean, acceptance is a huge deal because yeah, you make with it what you want to, right? There's so many other things you can work on. Where can people learn more from you, um, follow you? You're, you gave us your website. I'll put that in the show notes, but is there anywhere else that people can follow you and learn more from you? I'm most frequently on Instagram, which is just my name, Ruth Winder, the number eight on the end. There's eight people. I have five siblings and parents. So that's how you can remember eight. So just cool. Ruth Winder eight. That's my Instagram, but it probably just comes up if you type Ruth Winder now that I'm saying it. <laughs> awesome. That's great. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Super insightful. And I hope some athletes that are listening um, will take away the importance of uh, fueling the work and, you know, not starving while you're yeah, out there racing. You. Thanks for your time, Anne. It was nice to finally chat with you. Yeah, you too. Take care. Bye. Thank you so much for listening. I really loved that conversation with Ruth and hearing her authenticity about the struggles she's faced as an athlete and also how she's turned those into successes. And I realized that oftentimes this was done by speaking up, asking for help and advocating for herself. And I think that this is a powerful message to all athletes for us to remember to listen to our instincts when something feels off and talk to someone about it and possibly even remove yourself from the situation if necessary. It's also amazing to hear about Ruth's current endeavors, including being a coach for young athletes, a bike fitter, and a businesswoman. And I'll definitely be following Ruth's new business venture, which I will link to in the show notes, along with links to where you can learn more about Ruth. To stay updated on future episodes, subscribe to my podcast on Apple or Spotify. And you can do that by clicking the three dots on the upper right-hand corner of the shows and following Imperfect Progress with Ann Guzman. 
on Spotify, you can also rate the show by clicking the three dots in the upper right-hand corner. And on Apple, you rate the show by scrolling down to the bottom of the episodes, and then you will see the five stars and you can give your rating. Also, if you're interested for deeper insights into topics we discuss here and other topics around sports nutrition, physiology, and mindset, subscribe to my newsletter on the footer of any page of my website at nsag.ca or anguzman.com. And you can support me and my podcast by subscribing to the podcast, also by giving it that rating on Apple or Spotify, and definitely share it with anyone who you think might learn from it, be inspired by it, um, anyone who you think can benefit from listening. And lastly, you can support me by supporting my sponsor, Inside Tracker. So just remember, head to insidetracker.com forward slash Guzman Nutrition. That's G-U-Z-M-A-N Nutrition. And you can get 20% off the entire store and really start understanding your health from the inside out. I tell you, I have learned some really interesting things through my experience with Inside Tracker. They're super organized and I love how they organize the blood test results into different areas of your health. So bone health, hormonal health, uh, metabolism. It's just really interesting. And then how they highlight where you need to improve, where you're doing great, and how nutrition can help you make those improvements as well as fitness and exercise. Besides that, I just wanna say thank you again so much for tuning in and joining me to listen to these interesting conversations with these awesome guests. Stay tuned for more conversations around Reds and sports nutrition in the coming month as we debunk some common sports nutrition myths in my next episode. And until next time, just remember, progress is imperfect, right? The longer you live, the more clear that becomes. And what's really more important than focusing on perfection, which doesn't exist, is that you just keep putting one foot in front of the other. Surround yourself with good energy. This really matters. Trust the process and believe that you will get to where you're headed, even if the path looks different than you imagined. I'll chat with you soon. Keep moving. You've got this.